When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, evil from Eden to Armageddon. A researcher details how the end times will unfold and reveals the identity of the final Antichrist. He meets all the criteria because the paperwork, the pedigree, Everything that has to be in place to prove something, he has got it through Prince Charles and through him uniting with Diana. I mean, I go into detail about why Diana, she was of a certain bloodline which connects all the way back to Dan. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the Whistleblower tier. And a donation of just $10 per month makes you a Truth Seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, Go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Dr. Joy Pugh is here to discuss the biblical end times. How close are we to the tribulation? Will there be a rapture where Bible-believing Christians will be spared the worst aspects of Jacob's troubles. How does the Shroud of Turin, the burial cloth of Jesus, fit into end times prophecy? And finally, she'll reveal the identity of the final Antichrist. Joy is an alumnus of South Georgia College, Valdosta State College, and Nova University, where she received her doctorate in education. Her background involves working as a researcher, counselor, mental health professional, human services director, and consultant. Dr. Pugh appears in several television documentaries on the History Channel concerning end times. She's the author of Antichrist, The Cloned Image of Jesus Christ, Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, Volumes 1 and 2, and Beguiled, Eden to Armageddon, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. Dr. Joy Pugh, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I'm looking so forward to talking about the research that I've been doing for quite a long time. Yes, a long time indeed. 40 years worth of research. Tell me about this supernatural dream you had way back when you were six years old about the end of time. Well, I was a little farm girl growing up in South Georgia. I went to sleep on a typical night, uh, not really thinking anything bad thoughts. I grew up in a time when we really didn't have really a lot of terrible things on TV except Lassie and maybe Walt Disney World and I fell asleep and all of a sudden I was in this visionary dream that I still remember today and it really has actually changed my life and shaped my life to be able to do 
and understand what I'm having to do today that I feel like it's been a path for a very long time. I was standing on a huge hill and I was overlooking a vast, vast length of, um, of crater looking area, which was more like a huge valley, but I could see forever. I mean, it was forever and ever. And the destruction that was there was absolutely nothing like I've ever seen even Hollywood portray in any of their movies, like the movies like Armageddon or Independence Day or any of those types of things. It was absolutely devastating. And the way that the fire and the way the sky looked and the way that there was literally no sound there that it was completely destroyed everything was looking just it was just amazing the destruction and the colors and all the stuff that was there and i thought as a child because i was six years of age that i was the only person left on earth that there was nothing else left i mean i could literally see forever and so living in south georgia where i'd grown up with just pine trees every five feet you know i never had seen anything so vast and so big and so huge nor had I ever seen anything of that magnitude of destruction and still have not to this day seen that magnitude of destruction. It was very fearful and I ran looking for well, some place to hide and I looked to my left and I saw this jagged wall that had these huge stones and there were stones that were not or anything of a stone that I had seen in South Georgia because I lived in a very sandy clay area. And so the stones were really almost megalithic. They were huge stones. And they were jagged and cut down like something that had blown them apart, literally. But that was the only thing that really was left standing. And so in fear, I ran to get behind that to really protect myself and, and to really kind of get an understanding of what was going on because the sky was so darkened and so black. Uh, light was being shown from these magenta colors that were left over, like from the destruction. And um, I went running around the back of this wall and there was this being standing there, completely dressed in white from the neck down to the feet. Uh, and he had this gold band wrapped around him and his hair was kind of a dishwater blonde and it was laying on his shoulders and running down a little bit on the back of his head. And when I got there, I was so terrified. It was, it was the most terrifying thing in the world. If you've ever been lost when you were a child and you couldn't find your parents sure. and how fearful that was. It was like that, except a million times worse, because I really thought at that moment that I was the last person left on this earth, that there was nothing left. I mean, my childlike mind, what I was looking at was total destruction of the earth. And so when I saw this person and I looked up, there was such a relief that I'm not, you know, I am not here by myself. Somebody is here with me. And when he turned and he looked down at me, his eyes were as blue as crystal blue can be. I mean, I've I tried to describe them to people, and I'd say the, probably the bluest eyes I've ever seen on anyone is probably Paul Newman's. And if you could ever yes. imagine Paul Newman's ten times, you know, even a thousand times greater blue, it was that kind of piercing, beautiful blue. And the emanating of uh, what I would say was love or something that was coming off of him, you could feel it. You could feel like you were okay, everything's going to be okay. And when he turned and looked at me and I was just, you know, just like, what in the world is all of this? He just looked at me and said, do not fear. I'm with you always, always to the end. And I literally was like, so like overcome with that, that I woke up, sat straight up in the bed and jumped out of the bed and went running down the little hallway. I lived in a little farmhouse with my grandparents and my parents. And my sister was actually asleep beside of me, but I did not wake her up. I ran down to my grandmother. My grandmother was like my mother. Um, and I woke her up and she was like, you know, what's going on? And I'm trying to tell her, I'm trying to explain, I need to go to the church right then. I want to go to church right then. And she like was like, just calm down. You're like, a, you know, you just had a bad dream. And I'm like, no, I called her mommy. I said, no, mommy, it was not a dream. I want to go to the church right now. I want to go to the church right now. I really thought, Richard, that this was going to happen. I mean, like that this was really bad. I really wanted to be saved. I had been going to church since I was the first week I was born. She and my grandfather had carried me to church. And um, I had seen people do communion, and I understood about, you know, that you needed to be saved. But I had never heard anything like what I had seen. I had never heard about hellfire and brimstone and destruction or the end of days or the end of time. I mean, I had never heard anything like that. 
And so I just wouldn't be still. I mean, I was just constant. She finally came back and she laid down in the bed with me. She says, just wait till in the morning till the sun comes up and then we'll go to the church. Well, you know, I really couldn't sleep. She laid there at the end of the bed trying to console me. And finally, the next day, you know, we, we went to the church and I tried to try to tell her, you know, exactly what had happened. And she was like, you know, one day those things may happen, but just don't worry about that today. That's something in the future. And everybody that I would ask questions about would tell me the same thing, that those are symbols. We don't know what they are. You know, the book of Revelation might say this, but it would give me any really answer. So when I was 13 years old, I decided to read the book of Revelation. And about a couple of years, I guess, after I started reading, and around maybe eight or nine, ten years of age, I was going through my little childhood Bible, and I came across a Matthew 28:20, and it was exactly the same words that Jesus had said about that He would be with you always, even until the end. And I always thought it was weird because He said always instead of always, and so I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly what Jesus told me that day." But I, you know, I couldn't read it at age six. That's when we were first starting to read in the first grade, and. When I was in the first grade, we were running, you know, reading things like Run, Spot, Run. Right. And so it took me several years to be able to read my Bible. And like I said, I came across that, and I'm like, I had never heard that. So it wasn't something that I had heard before, and it literally was the same words. And the fact that the always didn't have an S on it, that was the thing that always got me. I'll be with you always. And so... Uh, like I said, when I turned about 13 years of age, I started reading the book of Revelation, and I came across a book while I was in uh, the uh, store of my mother at a, at actually a Rexall drugstore. And back in the day when I was little, you bought books off a little thing that turned round and around, like in the store. And I, I remember, was yes, I remember those. Yeah. Books. And I always was an avid reader. I mean, I, I read books all the time. I was a child who loved to read. And so I went to the library all the time, but, you know, the library didn't have any books of that kind of nature or whatever. And so when I saw this book, it said Late Great Planet Earth. It was about Hal Lindsey. Oh, yes. And I pulled it off the shelf of this little spin-around thing, and I was like, Mother, I need to buy, I need you to buy this book for me. And she was like, what in the world? You know, she was just blown away because it's nothing that really was being discussed a whole lot. I was Southern Baptist, and, and so things were pretty well you know, nobody said too much in church. Everybody sat there and listened, that kind of thing. I went to Sunday school and, you know, that just the normal little stuff. Little country church. Probably 50 people at the most would be there. Right. I mean, that's and interesting. sometimes even less than that. Yeah, because Small. the Revelation, they never, I'm um, Greek Orthodox, they don't, that's the one book they don't read in during the liturgy is, is Revelation. And I guess because <laughs> it's so open to interpretation and uh, it's very, it's somewhat controversial. Uh, and yes. so they just stay away from that. So you had the same experience. This this uh, blonde figure, you, um, I mean, that's an interesting depiction of Christ. I don't, I don't know. I don't think of him as having blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh, I, I don't. He, he literally did have the bluest eyes that you can imagine, and his hair. It wasn't like what I would say, like you would see, like on the beach or beach blonde hair. I'm talking more like a dishwater blonde, which would be more of a dark, dark right, blonde. Right, right. We used to call black, that sandy, yeah, like sandy dish. blonde, right. Um, there's just kind of a little difference, you know, between the dishwater, the darker mm. color hair, and then the sandy blonde. It was not sandy blonde. We're talking something that's in between, like a before you get to a brown okay. kind of color hair. All right. It was in that color hair, and it was kind of in like a little bit of ringlet waves. Hmm. But, you know, you know, the beard, the hair, the eyes, it was just, it was amazing. And there was this imminent of peace that I can't even describe because you could feel it. Right. It's like you could feel that. And with the trauma of everything else being so bad, you literally could, I was so afraid. And then having that feeling that even in all of this, I am with you. I am with you totally. I mean, it was just, it was, it was amazing. And like I say, when I got that book of Hal Lindsey's, I went home after I begged my mother, and I just devoured that book. And for the first time, Richard, I felt like somebody really understood what I had seen. And so my my my, my Sunday school teachers and the pastor, you know, asked these questions, and they couldn't answer them. And they would say, "Well, Joy, you know, you're not it's time it's not time for us to know. They're symbolic, and we won't know what it is. And just enjoy being a child, and quit worrying about this." 
But I never could. I never could get that out of my mind. It and was like this what one was, thing. That what was the takeaway? Me. What was the takeaway for you from Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth? Well, that we were really going to see an end of days and a generation in which we were living. And see, that's what I felt. I felt that once I, you know, woke up, that that I was going to see this happen. That I literally was going to see this happen and that I better be preparing for it. And so when I read Hal Lindsey's book and I saw how the progression of things were going to happen and I could start seeing these things coming together, then I started, you know, I was never thinking about being able to preach or even be a writer. I mean, I was studying to be a, a psychologist. I was studying to get my doctorate and maybe be a president of a college. I mean, I was doing things in an area pushing for those types of things because women in Southern Baptist, you know, they could end up being maybe a Sunday school teacher, but they didn't preach. I played piano, you know, things of that nature uh, while I was growing up in, in participating in the choir and things of that nature, maybe a play or whatever. And lots of times if I wanted to preach, which I did sometimes, I would memorize the the prose of James Weldon Johnson, who was a black pastor who wrote his sermons in prose. And so I would memorize his sermon and then reenact it so that I could be in the pulpit and really kind of preach because his, his particular things that he did were about the end of time, about the beginning end of time, which were things that I really felt were a part of my life. So throughout going on to school, even though I was studying in these other disciplines, I was looking for answers to these questions that typically the Sunday school teachers and the pastors and people that I would ask questions could not deliver a correct answer for me. And I felt like I would find these answers. So my research began trying to answer the difficult questions that nobody wanted to right, touch. Right. I wanted to know this, this. I was just very inquisitive. So, so let's get into and the end times. So that's what I did. Okay, so let's get into the end times. And you mentioned the book of Matthew. And of course, there's a, a great quote in, in Matthew. There, his disciples are asking about his return. And he talks about, uh, you know, as in the days of Noah. Uh, and just take a few moments and explain what was happening during the days of Noah and how that might correspond to what's happening today if indeed we are in the end times yeah for the first time in all the research that i've been doing i really do believe that we step into the, the apocalyptic times and i think it's been because of this coronavirus and the epidemic that we're seeing the interesting thing when i was doing my book uh are actually two volumes even the knowledge of good and evil 666 I kind of wanted to understand what it was about Noah's day that was so uh, important that it would be brought up again at the end of days that our time or the the, the particular group that would be living, uh, the, you know, the generation at the end of days would be so much like the days of Noah. And when I started looking at the time of Noah and all the things that were going on, for example, the fact that Enoch and these people were living to be old, you know, very, very long periods of time. But the fact that Enoch was taken out, he really didn't have death, that there were these sons of God that came upon the daughters of man, and that they had produced these giant beings who were literally destroying everything, there was violence, and there was, you know, destruction or whatever. And then that there was this lineage coming out of Adam and Eve through their son Seth, that was really portrayed all the way down to Noah, meaning that there was some pureness in this particular lineage versus the non-pureness that seemed to be in the lineage of Cain, of which the sons of God came upon his daughters and that they had these, these giants. So there was something genetically going on that was very weird there because if you take Adam and Eve, you know that Eve was taken from the rib of Adam, and that was pure DNA, so there was no way to really produce the type of giants and things that were happening unless something had infiltrated the genetic pool. So there was a very interest to in me about how we got pure DNA, and then all of a sudden we had these giants and these weird things happening out of another lineage from Cain versus the lineage that was really after Adam and Eve's kind, which was Seth's lineage all the way down to Noah. And the fact that Noah was the only, it says he was pure in his lineage, and that it really was not that... Um, there was very many people left of that belief or that pure lineage or something that had to get across the flood to change something. So it was almost like there was a getting rid of this bad situation. And so when I started looking at that and trying to understand it, I was like, okay, Enoch was taken out. And then Noah and his family were sealed 
in the ark, there was a, a time period in which they waited seven days after they were in the ark before the rains came. And then, of course, we know when the rains came, then everything on the outside of the ark perished. And so I was like, okay, well, let's look at what that may mean as far as revelation and the period of time in which a generation might live to see that same thing happen. Well, the biggest thing that's the big thing that was a real red flag to me that I wanted to watch for in my research was lawlessness, because it seemed that there was no control in the world at that particular time, that it was just violence and terrible. And the fact that Cain was really considered the lawless one. In other words, he murdered his brother Abel. There should not have been a reason that he should have really murdered him. That DNA or psycho, what I call uh, psycho behavior was, should not have been in the genetic pool, but yet it was. And so the fact that there was changes in how people were responding to the human being, and that was that we should have loved one another, we should have been the, the children of God, and we should have been able to have worked together and, and whatever. So whatever happened had changed that uh, t time period into a lawlessness where there were killing, where there was murdering, where there was uh, apparently these uh, fallen angels, which I would say were coming upon the daughters of man and that they were causing them to deliver these giant babies that supposedly were not normal to the genetic pool of which God created there in, in the garden. So all of that, and then the fact that Enoch was taken out. In other words, he was like, he was raptured or taken out. And I know in scripture, when I was doing the research on, on rapture, I found out the word rapture doesn't exist in, in biblical uh, scripture, but catching away does. And so that's kind of where you get the word rapture from. It's the catching away. But th there would be, at the end of days, a situation where a bride of believers are of, of a certain belief, like Enoch was. He walked with God. He was perfect in God. And he was taken out. He didn't have to suffer death that there would come a time period at the end of time that would be similar to that in which these people would be taken out, they would be caught away, and that they would be changed as Enoch was changed. And then scripture tells us at the end of days, there's 144,000 that will be sealed in their forehead. And I looked at that and I said, okay, so the ones that were left with Noah, and he was sealed in the ark. So he was sealed in the ark so nothing could get to him, that he would be able to survive the flood, and he would live through it to get to the other side, but that everything else would perish on either side of the ark. So when looking at the 44,000, they're sealed in the forehead because they will not be able to be overtaken by the world. And that led into all the research that I did on the pineal gland, which is considered the third eye in which I talk about in great detail in my work. The fact that they're sealed allows them to live during a period of time of wrath upon this earth where they will not be affected biologically through the mind. And because we now know scientifically that we're able to beam audio beams into our ears and transmit, which the scientists from MIT use those laser beams to transmit, you know, direct audio messages to a person, that if you don't have something blocking that capability, then you would be overcome and that your body could be biologically controlled by an outside entity. So the fact that those 144,000 are sealed, and then in Scripture it tells us at the end of days there is this silence of, in heaven, this period of time when there's just silence, like something's waiting. And then we find in the book of Revelation, then the wrath comes. And when the wrath comes, then everything else is just really, we, we start looking at all the terrible things that start happening, like the boils on everybody, the sea turning to blood, the rivers to blood, great heat, great darkness, hailstorms and locusts and just right. all this terrible stuff happening. So the connection is, is that there's a rapture or a catching away, then there's a sealing like Noah, and then there's this waiting, this time period, and then the wrath falls in the in the tribulation. Of okay, so you're talking about a you're talking about a pre-tribulation uh, rapture, which um, again, that's that's kind of a um, how should I call it uh, a point of dispute among different certain de denominations. Some believe in a, in right. a pre-tribulation rapture, some do not. But let me ask you then, uh, if let, we, let me if explain we are that. sure, go ahead. Let me explain because pre this pre-tribulation, this mid-tribulation, and this post-tribulation. The tribulation that I believe in is quite different. My tribulation belief is that the church will go through up until the time of the Antichrist. They will actually see the Antichrist come to power before the sealing and before that silence in heaven. 
it says that the that the church of Philadelphia will not endure the wrath. The wrath of the tribulation comes near the end of the tribulation period. So when I talk about the believers going out, they're actually past a little bit past the mid-trib, what people have normally called the mid-tribulation, right before you get to that silence in heaven, the ceiling 144,000, and then the great wrath falls. And I believe that probably that great wrath, again, I tied that to Noah, that Noah was probably on the ark probably for about a year and a half from the time the waters came, it, it flooded, and then before it dried up enough for him to come out of the ark. So I'm anticipating that we as believers may be here up until what I call that wrath period, which would be the last year, year and a half to two years that's right in there. But um, yeah, okay. I, I don't believe that the Christians are going to get out of here with our, or any believer will get out of here at the very beginning, because I personally believe we're already starting in that tribulation period. So now. we are so in Jacob, really we're free. in Jacob's trouble troubles yeah. uh, and so the, is there any parallel to be drawn between uh, Noah being sealed in the ark and those of us that have been quarantined during the COVID-19 or am I am I uh, sort of belaboring that metaphor too much I think that the ceiling is more like what I said I think the ceiling is going to be like the 144,000 because if 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 God was sealing us from the COVID-19, I don't think that if that was the case, any Christian would ever actually succumb to COVID. And unfortunately, I know Christians who have died from COVID. So I don't feel like that is, is what that's talking about. And the 144,000 that are left here are for, from the 12 tribes of Jacob. There's 12,000 each of those people who are pure in their lineages that are still here. And when that ceiling happens, that means that nothing can penetrate the pineal gland to transmit or receive out of that gland because that gland is much like a transistor radio. It has the capability, kind of quartz-like, to be able to send and, and receive messages. And that's one thing when I started doing the research on that, I'm like, this becomes Satan's final frontier. And if it wasn't Satan's final frontier, then why would it be that God would feel the need to seal those 144,000 in their forehead? But now that I've done the research and know the science behind using that gland and how we can be remotely controlled and biologically controlled against our own will, then the will of the person would be left and you could not make the decision. So really the two witnesses that come uh, after the church is taken away they're coming to those uh, people who are the 144,000 because most of them are still practicing really kind of a mosaic law. They're not really practicing Judaism. They're practicing mosaic law. And they usually set their tables with, you know, Elijah coming. And right. they wait at the Passover hoping he's going to come and, and explain to them that Jesus, is, you know, when, he's, when the Messiah is coming. They don't realize the Messiah has already been. And, of course, Scripture tells us that, 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 that really Elijah was John the Baptist, and Scripture explains that to us. So what's going to happen is that they're, they're sealed in those foreheads so that they can literally understand the two witnesses, because those two witnesses are going to be you know, killed and drugged through the streets and left for dead and, and die, and then they resurrect themselves according to the book of Revelation. So if your mind is seared, and you don't have the capability of understanding that. And if your pineal gland, which I think is the, is the reason that he's filling them in their forehead, you would not be able to grasp what was going on. And, of course, we know from Scripture that those people are going to end up being martyred because they're going to go against the establishment. And that they're going to be taken out. And, of course, they'll go directly into the bride's supper of the Lamb, okay, which is already occurring. Let's go back to COVID-19 for a moment because uh, you've indicated you believe we already have begun Jacob's troubles or the tribulation. And so yes. is it COVID-19 that is going to push us over the edge? An economic cataclysm, a, a world war as a result? Well, what I think is we have already seen is that in every uh, epidemic of sickness or whatever that we have gone through in the history of mankind, and I started writing about this in my first book, Antichrist, about the different viruses that were on the earth and how they were getting a little bit worse and how we were not able to fight them off and how we would travel between countries that it was going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, you know, we have seen cases of things happening like the H1N1, H5N1, uh, the Zika virus and things like that. We've been seeing these things gradually getting worse over the period of time. The thing that we have never seen before is that an 
a epidemic of uh, of a virus could become a pandemic in such a quick time and literally almost cost the United States for us to go, you know, to lose our stock market, which could eventually have caused us complete economic you know, a collapse. Never before in our history have we seen something worldwide. And that's the thing that makes this COVID-19 a very big red flag about walking into what I call, you know, the seven seals, where you have the white horse, red horse, black horse, pale horse, that kind of thing start happening. So for the first time, I think that we can see that COVID-19 was a way to affect us economically, uh, affect us as far as humans being able to have human contact. Um, the, it affected our religious establishments because we were not able to meet and have our religious uh, activities like we would normally do. And then the fact that um, from the standpoint of businesses being able to run and do, being able to feed the people, I mean, we, were, we began to look at what is this going to be like if it continues and we can't go back and start working and doing. And unfortunately, we're seeing right now the fact that we have returned back to work, that our numbers are spiking. In my area, they're going, they're escalating. People are getting very, very sick in, in South Georgia. So what's happening is, even though we've tried to return back to some normal ways of living, we're finding that we cannot do that, that we're going to have to be forced to close that down and you know, schools not being able to be open. And then how do you get kids educated. I mean, this is becoming a worldwide problem because it's not something that we can contain. And the viruses before, like Marburg, Ebola, that I used to study the very hot viruses on this planet, the biggest thing to control them was that you surrounded the camp, didn't let anybody out, everybody died, and then you burned it, and you got rid of the problem. With this, it's, it's worldwide. So that's given me the indication that for the first time, we're seeing something affect us on a global scale. Now, what has that done also? We can look at what it's going to do as far as famine. We were able to see that the Swift Company, when it went down, that our poultry producers, I mean, our, our um, hog industry was not able to get the, um, the, the pork from out there in the field to a processor to get to your table for people to be able to eat. And the same thing that we see in the uh, poultry industry where we've got a lot of bird flu. There's all kinds of problems that are coming up. And as these things progress, then our famine starts happening. And for the first time, you know, we're seeing like locusts that are just covering, you know, over in the African areas of, of these locusts that used to be little small grasshoppers. And now they're like bigger than your hand and they can destroy a crop in 30 seconds. And now, you know, a cornfield destroyed in 30 seconds. I grew up on a farm. For something to destroy it, eat it to the ground in 30 seconds is absolutely mind-boggling to me because how, of how long it takes you just to cultivate that if you've got a, you know, a, a sure. corn a combine. So, you know, I think that what we're looking at, at the coronavirus and at COVID-19 is that it's not going to be the end thing. I think the next thing coming is going to be worse. I mean, it's just like the bubonic plague that has just been unsurfaced in a squirrel out in Colorado, and there's already three people that's been diagnosed in China, and there's an H5N1 that they think the DNA in that particular virus has been mutated or changed. So I think that if we were even to get past COVID-19, according to Scripture, at the end of days, there's going to be this time period like a woman in travail in which these things will come in greater numbers and greater intensity, just like a woman who's getting ready to deliver a baby. You may have bits and pieces of pains and whatever when you first get pregnant, and you know that you've got a nine-month span that this is going to be happening. But if you get close to that one month and then down to you know six weeks and four weeks and two weeks and then the day of delivery, you know that these specific things are going to start happening. These symptoms are going to start getting worse, and then the pain's going to get worse, and they're going to get closer together until okay. that baby's born. More of my conversation with Dr. Joy Pugh when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Colleen Forgus is the manager of our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. She's a nutritional therapist, and we welcome her once again. Hey, Colleen. Hi, Richard. So many people these days, Colleen, are suffering from, well, stress and anxiety. What do we have at the Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary for anxiety control? That's exactly what it is. It's a product called Anxiety Control by a company called Metabolic Maintenance. 
And this is a great overall product for helping you to eliminate stressful feelings during the day. It enhances your ability to sleep soundly at night, and it just calms and relaxes the mind. Sounds like just what the doctor ordered. Colleen, thanks again. We'll talk soon. All right, Richard. Be well. To order Anxiety Control, just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Full Script Dispensary button and then register. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Dr. Joy Pugh is here, and we're discussing the biblical end times, the coming tribulation or Jacob's troubles, and the identity of the Antichrist. What about the then the arrival of the Antichrist, and uh, how and where is that going to take place? Well, we know that if these things are happening according to Scripture, we know that there's got to be that nations are going to rise against nations. We're seeing that kingdom against kingdom. There's great earthquakes, which we see all everywhere. We're seeing the famines, the pestilence. We're seeing the viruses. We're seeing all this happen. So if we're in the generation, and the generation we should know should be 70 years, and if you stop and think, if we say, well, let's just look at when uh, Israel became a nation over there. That was in May 14, 1948. And if you take a generation, which we always know in a generation is 70 years, that would put us at 2028. So if you just minus off a seven-year tribulation time period, you'd end up being about 2021. And, you know, that's coming up. So if that's the case, and we can say the birth pains are starting, then we know that we've got a period of time before there could be like an end of days, totally. And that's it, according to Revelation. So if that's the case, and we know that, you know, at least two and a half years into that tribulation period, that some man is going to step up and step to the plate and have supposedly a Messiah kind of uh, uh, personality, charisma, that would make people look to them to save us, that that's what and why the 144,000 are saved because they don't believe Messiah is coming before they can be confused that this is not the Messiah, then, of course, we know that I think that, um, that that's when the church will be taken out. So if that's the case, then if we've got a man that's going to do that, and Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that he is a man, his number of his name in uh, Greek um, numbering equals 666, then if he's a man, and it says he's a man, and his number equals 666, he's got to be alive, and he's got to be walking this earth, and he's got to have certain credentials to be able to stand and have the capability for people to look to a person to save them. And then at the same time, there has to be a false prophet, which we're told in Scripture has to come into play, that will support what the Antichrist is going to say and do as if he is the Messiah. And so that false prophet, has to be in place. So we can't be looking at somebody that hasn't been born yet. We've got to be looking at a false prophet that's got to be in place. We've got to be looking at someone that meets all the credentials of what biblical scripture says. He also has to he also has to broker he also has to broker a false peace in the Middle East. So who do you have any idea who this this person is? Well, when I started doing all the research a long, long time ago, trying to figure out in the book of Re- you know in the book of Revelation what this man was going to have to be like and what kind of control he have to be, and that he would have to be able to to unite uh, certain kingdoms, and that the kingdoms of the earth that we have always been told would be reunited would be kind of like the old Roman Empire, and so I wanted to when I started looking at this, I wanted to find out who would have control, <clears throat> excuse me, over the old Roman Empire. And when I began looking at this, then I saw that, interesting enough, the uh, British Empire was exactly the same countries as the old Holy Roman Empire that Constantine put together back in 325 AD. So I, I thought, okay, 
how is it and who is it that controls those countries? You know, are they independent of one another or do they have some common bond that's bringing them together or keeping them together? And what I found was that the sun never sits on the British Empire and that the queen, that Queen Elizabeth in our time period is the really overseer of that group of countries and has a, a lot of play in what's said and done and how things are progressing. Many, many times people thought that those particular royal families did not really control, you know, land masses and whatever. But when you find out that the queen is absolutely the richest being on this planet and that she owns more land than anyone else, then you have to look at what is the person who can stand and proclaim himself to have the capability to to control an empire, if he's not over it or connected to it, then he would not have the ability to utilize that power or that control. So that was one of the the first things that I had to find with who had the land, who had the most money, who had the power and could, could bring together back something much like the old Holy Roman Empire. So I knew that I was looking at, at British. And then at the same time, I started looking at what was really happening in the book of Daniel to tell us about, you know, the 10 nations and the 10 toes and how that was going to play out. So I knew that there would be these 10 nations and I began to see how those 10 nations could be certain nations and that they would be maybe under um, British control or British commonality of control. So then I looked at, okay, what else does Daniel say? It talks about the Assyrian. It talks about also in scripture that this person must come from the lineage of Dan, who is the adder in the way. And of course, we know that Dan's lineage is not mentioned in the 12 tribes that are at the end of the book of Revelation that are sealed. So there's something about Dan's lineage that's going to bring about someone from that lineage that would have to have capability to be an antichrist. He's going to be the adder in the way. Um, For the Jewish people to be able to believe that it is the Messiah and be confused about that. And the reason that they are sealed is that he has to be from a Jewish, you know, lineage. And so when I started trying to find out who and how Dan's lineage went through the different areas uh, from the time uh, it separated out from the other tribes and who it mingled with and then how those people ended up in certain areas. And I began to trace all that back and see that there was a lot of that lineage that ended up in Britain, in Scotland, and in Ireland. And then I knew that in Book of Revelation also talked about that there had to be a red dragon involved in this. And so I began trying to look at where was the dragons at. And so I began to see that most of all your dragon statues are located in the city of London. And that um, the red dragon actually appeared on the flag of Scotland, our wealth. And so I'm like, okay, who's over this? Who has the control over this? And where is that located in that particular area? Because a lot of people think that when we talk about serpents, we're talking about a snake, but we're not. And that's where people get confused in in the book of Genesis. We're talking about serpent lineages, and it's something that's very evil and 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 of course we see them as gray and they have wings and this kind of stuff if you see them over especially in uh, the city of london so i began to look at that and kind of correlate how these lineages were running from those particular uh dan's tribe into those areas and then how the fact that in london they have a parade every year for two giants and those two giants are called Gog and Magog. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's quite interesting because we're talking about the Gog and Magog war. It's mentioned in scripture. And I'm like, nobody's really putting that together that there's a connection to that. And so then I began to see that there was these great um, things that the, the, the British family had done as far as establishing Israel and the state of Israel. And how they had allowed the Rothschilds to take over and, and, and really kind of oversee that area of land. And how their connection was still there and how Prince Philip's uh, mother uh, is buried there. And the connection to the royal lineage of David. And we know that 
when scripture says that the end of days that you know Jesus supposedly is the prophet, priest, and king. So therefore, the person that would have to be emulating uh, the Messiah would have to be someone that could literally proclaim himself to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so he would have to be Jewish. He would have to be from a family that would be in a lineage. And then um, the fact that he would have the control over that particular area in which someone would be uh, listening to what he had to say from the standpoint of economics, the standpoint from political, the standpoint from uh, the, the, the religious aspect of it. And so I you know, did more research and found that, of course, we know that uh, Henry VIII, he separated out from the Vatican because he didn't want to listen to what the Pope said about him running around having a bunch of different wives. Well, so he established his own church, and he became the leader of it. He became the defender of the faith and over that. So that's exactly what Queen Elizabeth is, and whoever takes over from her will one day be a defender of the faith and, and that kind of thing. So then I started looking at the prophecy of the popes, and St. Malachi wrote about the prophecy of the popes, and we're now down to the last pope, and and we now have a pope in there who's doing exactly what it says in Scripture that the pope is going to do. He's going to coordinate all these religions together under one umbrella, establishing the fact that we worship a God, the same God by different names. And so he is, a liter- he is literally establishing what uh, the Scripture told us and also what the prophecy of Pope said, that he would be like Peter the Roman. He would go back and he would play the part of turning the keys back over to Christ because he took the key of the kingdoms when Christ left. He became the rock according to the Roman Catholic Church. So he's, this person is going to have to give the key back to the original person. And that would mean that that, 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 that particular pope, who I believe is the false, the false prophet, would have to give his rights back over to the Messiah or the person he's going to be saying is Messiah. And how is he going to prove that he's the Messiah? And then that going into my work with um, the Strata Turin. And the fact that there was blood taken off, the blood was cloned, and that I believe that there was an establishment established a long time ago through a thing that we all heard, and that is the story of Camelot. That the king, the king author, would live again. That he was born, that he would live again as a child. He would come back at a later time, reestablish Camelot, and that the Holy Grail, the blood cup, the blood with the, the, the divine spark of God would be able to be regenerated again. And I talk about all that in my books as well, about the regeneration and how the Rosicrucians worked very, very long trying to keep flesh alive, which they were able to do. And then I talk about the cloning aspect which started in the 1800s because it's a very simple process. And then when I wanted to kind of get an idea, well, how could someone, according to Scripture, and even Jesus himself say that someone was going to be walking like him, and looking like him, and talking like him, and and to be aware of that. And I think the thing that really solidified that was when I came across Scripture, where Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you know, he says, I'm going to raise my temple up in three days. And they laughed at him because they said, it took us 40 years to build this temple. You can't raise it up in, in three days. But he was not talking about his, the temple of rocks. He was talking about his body. In three days, he considered his body the temple that would be raised. So I find it very interesting that in Scripture, when John the Revelator was telling us that this beast is an iconic word, it means icon. It's the only time in Scripture that the word beast means icon. So what is it about four times that John the Revelator wanted us to understand that this being, this man, was going to be in an iconic image. Now, some people used to say, oh, it's going to be a computer, it's going to be a robot, or whatever. But he said iconic. And when we say iconic, what was the first icon? What was the very first icon that was ever done? What was Jesus? There at at, at the monastery below Mount Sinai, where they did an iconic picture of him. And it's based on the image on the shroud. And it's based on the image of the shroud image of the shroud. Mm. And so then you've got the shroud that's gone through history, which we know the, the Catholic Church owns, and, and every pope has said that's real. I mean, they have said it's real. All the research I do on the shroud of Turin, and I get shroud of Turin research stuff every day, There, it, it cannot be disproven that that, in fact, was a cloth from that period of time, that that blood is really real on that, that cloth, and that that cloth covered Jesus. And for some reason, when he resurrected, 
he was pure light and he went through that cloth and made that image because the closest thing scientifically that we've come to being able to do that is using laser light light to make that image look more like what that image is. It's 3D. I mean, it, it, you cannot discredit. They've tried to because they don't want it to be revealed until the right time. Right. It's but a negative image. It's three. It's a 3D image. It's a, it has holographic oh, yes. properties. It's 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 a remarkable artifact. So just because we're uh, we're almost finished here, so the the uh, the DNA taken from the uh, the blood on the shroud, um, in order to create the the shell or the physical likeness of Jesus. That would then be filled with the spirit of the Antichrist, and it sounds like you're you're pointing to the heir to the throne, which would be Prince William. And I am, and that's the thing. I, I, I mean, I've done a couple of radio shows where it took you know three or four hours to go through all the documentation that I have. But the thing about it is, is that he is in the image of that shroud, which is very unusual. Even when he stands in his um, meetings with people he folds his hands in front of him just like the shroud i mean it's identical to that stance that he has and and the fact is that he meets all the criteria because the 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 paperwork the pedigree everything that has to be in place to prove something he has got it through prince charles and through the you know the him uniting with diana i mean I go into detail about why Diana and, and she was a you know she was of a certain bloodline which connects all the way back to Dan, you know I, I explained that her dad that she was really Jewish. There, there's all these things that have been hidden from the public to make us believe one thing and not believe the truth. And I think that's the thing that has gotten me so, you know. Um, scientifically looking at it. It's not a theory. It's not like I'm just picking somebody out of thin air. I'm looking at every aspect of what the Bible says. It says this man is going to walk in, in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, the temple of God is, is the body of God. And, and to me, if you look at this and you understand it, then you can see that raising the temple of God to walk in when you do that, when you clone anything, you cannot clone the soul. I mean, you know, there's been research that's been trying to do where they've tried to capture the soul at death and all this kind of stuff. You can't do it because that, that soul goes right back to God who created it. Scripture tells us that. That's why there's no such thing as reincarnation and that kind of thing. So the only way that, a, that an Antichrist could walk on this earth and not be doused with holy water or demonic being driven out of him then he would have to have nothing in there where the soul is competing against trying to fight back and claim back the, the image. He is literally walking in, in a flesh with nothing inside of it. And if that's the case, then that would be the only way that Satan could live, breathe, walk, and never be afraid that something could remove him from that flesh. And that's exactly what the Rosicrucians, that's exactly what you know, King Arthur's stories were about and how to maintain that flesh, and how to make it live again. I mean, it's all, it's all there. And when you put all the pieces of the puzzle together, and who has the charisma, who's behind right now a lot of the, um, the insurances and the health care. Uh, even Prince William has been involved with the Gates Foundation for years. I mean, he's the first person to ever go into Jerusalem and do anything from a standpoint of royalty. In that country. Speaking I mean, of Bill Gates, excuse me, uh, Joy. Excuse me, but uh, speaking of Bill Gates, then do you think that the Bill Gates-sponsored vaccination is the mark of the beast? Well, you know, there's been some speculation that some of the um, things that he's talking about using and the possibility of one, whether it's going to be used now, because I think that what they're using now is a little bit more watered down, and they're still trying to decide whether or not it's going to be effective. I think the thing that's coming as far as the mark of the beast. It's going to be something that has to be like a, a tattooed thing or either something injected because it's got to appear on the forehead and, and on the, on the uh, forehead. So uh, if it's going to be on your hand or on your head, it's got to be something that can be utilized, let's say, from a standpoint of picking you up uh, by satellite or, or, or whatever. 
your your DNA is actually vibrating. And so being able to connect it to the DNA of your body, then your tune would be able to be picked up. You would be able to be, you would be pinging like everything else pings so you can't hide anywhere. And so the fact that the COVID-19 almost cost us to have to look at, and still may do that, look at going to an economy where you can't get money in your hand and it's all in cyberspace like Bitcoin, then that ability to buy, sell, or trade will be controlled through something that's on you, that can identify you. So whether it's actually a vaccination for COVID, it will eventually be something has to be placed on you because you're not going to be able to buy, sell, or trade. If the, if the animals start getting COVID, which we know some of them do, if they were to come down with, let's say, the bubonic plague and it starts you know, transmitting, we could not stop it because it's mutated, then we wouldn't be able to hunt we wouldn't be able to sustain life. Famines would get worse and it would become like the end of days when you can't even get a wheat for a penny and that kind of stuff. So we're seeing this escalating to the point that identifying people and being able to do business without going down to the bank, signing a check and doing this stuff like we normally do, they already know. They don't In our area, they don't even want you to give them coins or dollar bills because it's transmittable for the virus. Right. So the ability to push us to a cyberspace like Bitcoin is coming, but the ability to use your body to know, is it you, can you buy, can you sell, can you trade, then we have to come up with something different. And I do think that because of the Gates Foundation and how long they've been working on vaccinations and marks and that kind of stuff, that probably there's some connection that they're going to have something to do with that at the end of at the very end there when the mark becomes uh, you either take it or you die. Okay, so is our path... Is this is our fate sealed, or is there a, a path that we might avoid this tribulation, at least for the time being? Well, you know, I've always said that if you went to uh, uh, Las Vegas and you were betting on what the Bible says, it's been a hundred percent true so far. So anything that you would bet about what it says, I think it's going to come to pass. I know when I did the uh, History Channel and, and was on that series years ago about this same situation. I said it's going to happen just like the Bible says it's going to happen. I've not changed my thought process. Everything that's going to happen is going to follow suit. It's been 100% correct so far. It's going to fill itself right out. So the best way to really prepare for this is to be a part of the catching away. And that requires us looking to our Savior, who we already know has been here, died, rose again, and said he's coming back for us. And I think if we're wise, we'll be like the five virgins in the parable of the ten virgins that kept their oil lamps lit waiting for his return so that when he comes we go with him because we don't want to be left during a time when you're going to have to take that mark to be able to buy sell or trade and then experience all the boils and all the things that's going to happen and kill people and it's going to be i mean what we're seeing right now is just the beginning and you can see how bad it already is so imagine what the next possible three years or three and a half years are going to become if this could happen to our our world everything was fine in our world in december imagine just in the last seven months seven months how bad this has happened and how it's changed our lives forever imagine what the next seven months and the next seven months hold if we're in those birth pains where the intensity of the earthquakes and we know there's you know nasa's already told us they got asteroids out there that are really targeting us we know wormwood According to scripture, is going to hit us. A third of everything is going to die. We already see that we've got seas and rivers that are turning to blood from the plankton that put off these toxic chemicals, and it kills everything in its sight. We already see the famines. We see the pestilences. I mean, we can't avoid it. It, it is scriptural. It is what God the Creator said. He wrote the manual. You know, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, and I guess I'm just the bearer of bad news, but he's the guy that wrote the manual. And this is his world, and it's going to end the way he says. It's going to end in fire. And that's exactly what I saw when I was six years old, standing there watching that. It is total annihilation of terrible proportions. And the only way to survive it is to really choose Jesus. He's the only answer. And um, I I don't know of another way out. But to hold on to the truth that the Bible says, if you do what he says do, in the end, you win. If you don't do what he says do, then you're on the team that's going to lose. And it specifically tells you that team is going to spend eternal darkness 
They're not all, they're going to be good, be dead because once energy is made, it cannot be destroyed. So don't think it's lights out if you're bad. It means you're going to get burned and burned and burned and burned forever and ever and ever and ever without the light of God ever being in there to save you. So you got two choices and your soul is your greatest asset. It is the greatest asset that you've ever been given to survive all of this. And you need to pay close attention to what you think, do, or say every day. Because Satan is just, he's going after us with every force capability he's got to destroy our soul and, and, and make us end up in hell with him. He's already designated to that area forever. He knows it. But whoever he can take with him, he is going to take it just as hard and fast as he can do. So the next couple of years, we're going to see that unleashing of evil. And we're seeing it now. I mean, when, when brother fights against brother, when people can't even agree on anything in the world, and the world's tearing down things and destroying things and killing innocent people and killing babies after they're born, I mean, it cannot continue. If, if it did, God would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> and and, he, and All right, we, he's not, you know, he, he said what's going to happen. So that's, we can't get away from that, unfortunately. We just have to believe what he said and, and survive it. Beguiled, Eden to Armageddon, Volumes 1, 2, 3. Uh, Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666, Volume 1 and 2, and others. Uh, how do we order those books, Joy? You can go to my website, which is www.drjoy, and it's joy with an E, D-R-J-O-Y-E dot com. Or you can go to my, um, if you go to my uh, uh, website there, there's links to my books, and it will take you to the publisher and they will process all of that for you without any kind of complications or problems. And then if you want to keep up with <clears throat> my radio shows and stuff like that, you can go to um, my Facebook page, which is Joy, and it's J-O-Y-E, Joy with an E, P-U-P-U-G-H, pronounced Pew. And you can friend me and become a friend, and then you can follow me there as well for the radio shows and listen to the radio shows and things that I'm involved with in conferences and that kind of stuff that I will be doing. But those are the two places to uh, to find out about my work and what will be coming out, my new books, those kinds of things, Richard. It's real simple just to go to the website. And, and if you've got a question that you'd like for me to answer on one of my radio shows, then you can do a submission form there and send that information to me, and I'll be glad to use that question in one of my radio shows. So there's a lot of things at my website. Again, it's drjoy, D-R-J-O-Y-E dot com. Fantastic. Joy, thank you for hanging out. Great meeting you. Thank you too, Richard. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few details on an upcoming episode. There's never been a more important time to focus on our physical well-being, build up our natural immune system, and take control of our health. That's why the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo every morning. ESS-60 is the consumable form of carbon-60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of ESS-60 on the market. They produce the formula of ESS-60 that was used in a landmark animal longevity study in Paris, where rats that were fed ESS-60 lived twice their natural lifespans. Twice. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. It's truly a mega antioxidant. How does it make me feel? Well, I'm 56 years old and I'm pain-free. Pain-free. My energy levels are through the roof and I sleep like a baby. The mighty Aphrodite is noticing the exact same benefits. ESS-60 delivers better health, mental clarity, and immune support. Experience the benefits for yourself. To order, go to the notes for this episode and click on the C60 Evo link. Save 5% on your order by entering the code RS1SPEC. RS1SPEC. And if you order based on a monthly refill, you'll save even more. Get your bottle of this miracle molecule ESS60 today from C60 Evo. And again, Go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the C60 Evo link. Then enter the code RS1SPEC to start saving. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider.
Coming up next time, Dr. Jerome Corsi discusses the deep state's continuing plan to take down President Trump. The people who are architecting on the left, they've known and understood the use of violence and protests in order to cause a change in government, a coup d'etat. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs> <laughs>